well, if I'm dead, I need to know before I come in tonight. (laughs) 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 Wow. Welcome back to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I'm your host, Daniel Fox, here with my great friend, Tom Balsamo. And how are you doing this morning, Tom? Doing good. 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 A little little allergies today, but uh, none the worse for wear. Yeah, good, good. Well, it's good to be back I at hope, it. Hope I don't sound weird because of allergies. No, 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 it's not like they're raspy or like that. I got a stuffed nose, and I, <laughs> if you did that, that might be a little distracting through the episode, but that's okay. And provide a little bit. <laughs> no, you're fine. And uh, we <laughs> want to thank our patrons over at patreon.com slash reason together yes. for uh, all uh, the support that you give to uh, making this possible and to helping us and uh, and especially to our elite patrons who have access to the after show. And uh, if you're interested in becoming a patron, you can go over there to patreon.com slash reason together and uh, sign up for any one of a number of tier levels. Uh, with the different perks there. But again, thank you to our patrons. Yes, we appreciate you guys. Well, it seems like we, it's been a couple weeks or so since we've done this. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Like it seems unfamiliar today. Um, <laughs> like, like what, what are we supposed to do again? Oh, that's right. Talk. Yeah. It's a very diff- difficult task, I guess. But uh, yes. Um, yes, we're at episode 139 now. We just talked about Halloween um, mm-hmm. on our last episode, um, which we tried to get that out just before Halloween came. And it seems like we, we did make it out about three days before. We'd love to hear your feedback on that. Uh, if you have any thoughts about that, doesn't have to, it doesn't matter that it's after Halloween now. It hasn't lost its thunder. If you'd like to comment on that or send us your feedback on that episode or on any of the episodes, you can send that to reasontogetherpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we certainly would love to hear from you. We have several of our listeners that have uh, done that today. They've sent in their feedback and their questions to reasontogetherpodcast at gmail. And uh, hopefully that'll give us some things to talk about today. <laughs> Hey, I have to start start out uh, this morning with a unique story for you. I didn't uh, hadn't told you about this yet, but okay. uh, it's it's become a joke around here now. Um, <clears throat> but we got a oh boy, what was it? Uh, I'd say about a week ago. About a week ago, I got a message on the machine. I, I let the answering machine here at the office uh, be my secretary, you know, and answer uh, the phone. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, so I can keep doing what I'm doing. And uh, anyway, so I was sitting here and I received a message um, from a local chaplain at a hospital that uh, my pastor had passed away during a test. And um, the, the, the chaplain passed away. No, that my pastor had passed away. The chaplain called and said that uh, that he and he named my pastor. He said he had passed away during oh, a test. What? Yes. And so, Are you serious? I, yeah, of course. So I, okay, wait a minute. Whoa. So I immediately, you know, I went to the machine and I listened to it and then you kind of wondered, well, I mean, you might be thinking, well, can, can a guy really get that wrong? And is this a prank? And anyway, but he said what hospital he was from. And uh, so I, I listened to it again and he clearly said, you know, that my pastor had passed away in a test. So, what? so I called my pastor's wife and I said, uh, do you know where pastor is? Because if she'd have said, yeah, he's at the hospital getting a test, then I'd have known, you know, okay. Then I, because the guy said, you know, he passed away during this test and you need to notify the family. 
it, it was terribly unprofessional, terribly. Um, yeah, it's like you, you don't leave that on a voicemail. No, leave it on message. Yeah, right. And um, but anyway, so I call her and I said, uh, "Do you know where Pastor is?" And she said, "Well, I'm looking at him." <laughs> and I said, "Okay, probably like okay, good. Now listen to this message." <laughs> and so Pastor had a kind of a classic response. I don't know if it's classic, but he said. Uh, well, if I'm dead, I need to know before I come in tonight. <laughs> wow. And, yeah. Isn't that amazing? And so of course, we, I communicated with the hospital and just told them how unprofessional that was. And they, you know, responded well. But um, but apparently the guy had gotten mixed up and somebody had passed away and they were calling our church. But uh, apparently he read the name of the pastor of the church, which he was calling and mistook that for the name of oh, the person no. who had passed away or something like that. And oh, so no. anyway, that probably raised my pulse or blood pressure there for a, for a few well, seconds there. Yeah. I was going to ask you, was your heart pounding when you called, you know, pastor's wife? That, that must've been, I was a little alarmed. <laughs> oh no. Ooh. But uh, though, though I guess it's good to laugh at it now. <laughs> um, <laughs> It, it's almost like you know, in, in a sense, I kind of, I, I kind of envy Pastor now, because he's got a really <laughs> funny story. <laughs> now, like yeah. one of the best funny stories you could have about yourself <laughs> is that someone thought thinks you're dead and they call you <laughs> to leave a message to tell yeah. you that in you're fact, dead. <laughs> in fact, he said on Sunday, he said, "I've kept it on the machine for posterity's sake or whatever." But he said, "I." Uh, he said, I've listened to it several times. He said, I've always kind of wondered what that would be like, you know, to hear that yeah. I had died and now I know. The message about himself. You should uh, transfer that, like record that on your phone, transfer that to an MP3 or something and, and that way you can <laughs> file it away and have that. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, I mean, not, not, not that death is funny. It's certainly not. To, you know, when you get notified no. that someone died and that's not funny, but you know, when, when they think it's you and yet you're standing right there, that's <laughs> right. I mean, like, that's, now this that's kind of gone funny. way too far. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of funny. That is kind of funny. So wow. there you go. <laughs> what do we want to cover uh, yet t today? Um, we've got more than we can in one episode, but um, yeah, we've got and, some uh, follow up here. Did you want to deal with that first? Sure, sure. We've got s several from listeners and patrons and things like that. Only a couple from us, which we may not even get to. But yeah. uh, um, let me, uh, you want me to start off with this uh, follow-up here? Sure. All right. This is a feedback that we have uh, f uh, regarding our women keeping silence. Is that right? Yes. Question? Okay. A couple episodes ago. Discuss that. And this one, this anonymous says... I believe that God has given me a deep desire for study of his word beyond surface reading, to which I say, amen. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, the original languages fascinate me, and I wish I would have taken Greek in college. And I'll just put a little plug in there. That is fun. All right. Uh, and it's not terribly difficult. Um, my husband and I have had many conversations about this topic because I often feel brushed aside when I ask doctrinal questions of male friends and family. I feel like many expect me to take their answer as truth and move on without discussion. It seems as though questioning a thought comes across as a challenge, and I struggle with knowing how to remedy that. I suppose the question could be put forth, does reasoning together include women? If so, how can we cultivate healthy reasoning in mixed settings? Good question. If not, 
where should we practice reasoning in the area of doctrine? We, I guess, meaning <clears throat> uh, ladies. Or I ask this with a complete sincerity, knowing that many would answer in the affirmative, could my desire to reason through questions of doctrine be wrong? All right, maybe I'll add more of this later, the last paragraph there, but what, what say you so far? Oh, there's, there's so much. Um, I, yeah, yeah. Where do they fit? Is it wrong? To kind of start out with that, I would say, no, reasoning together is not wrong for women. <laughs> um, <laughs> although she seems to, to say here uh, that some would answer that in the affirmative. Um, I, don't, I, would, I would agree. Really? Do you know people who would say that? Um, maybe not that directly, that exactly. More uh, implicit that, that they don't think women should be reasoning together through doctrine? It might set them on edge if a woman began to, uh, because like, like she says, uh, um, comes across as a challenge. Well, mm -hmm. obviously, if you disagree with somebody, you say, well, what about this? I, you know, maybe it has to be done. Maybe that's the manner of approach there. But um, I don't yeah. disagree with the fact, I mean, look, think about, and I know we don't class ourselves in this um, slice of fundamentalism, but think about how. Uh, authoritarian and to some degree chauvinist a part of fundamentalism is, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure there's yes. guys out there that, you know, that wouldn't appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know any personally. Um, yeah. I'm not saying my head, uh, but, but yeah, I could see that existing somewhere. Um, I think it's, it's interesting. She says, um, it seems as though questioning a thought comes across as a challenge and I struggle with knowing how to remedy that. Um, I, I'm with you on that, that, you know, maybe it could be the approach that she's mm -hmm, taking. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe she needs to rework the way that she brings up these things. Um, <clears throat> you know, rather than just assuming that, that they just don't want to hear from women. Um, you know, does that make sense? Well, yeah. I think honestly that goes even outside of the realm of doctrine. If a woman just comes across as overly opinionated and dominating conversation and, and super strong, I don't care for that. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think there is uh, an approach that women need to have in conversation, period. Sure. And, and even going beyond opinionated, I would add to that <clears throat> um, like having an inflated view of one's own experience. Mm, yeah, so, yeah. so, so like to, to assume that some, that, that you are, uh, more experienced than you are might be, you know, an issue when it comes to speaking about doctrine. Cause, and mm -hmm. I think especially, and, and this is something that, you, you know, I, uh, I wasn't a pastor eight, nine, 10 years ago. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was full-time in diagnostic imaging. So when I started working as a, in, in, in the pastor, when I started in ministry, I noticed that people would frequently come after church and want to talk doctrine, right? And mm -hmm. and some, mm -hmm. it was really great, right? Mm -hmm. And some, mm -hmm. it was not. And often the ones where it was not a great experience was when they had an inflated view of their own life experience in relation to doctrine. Hmm. Um, and, and it wasn't necessarily that they were, they were super opinionated. They just, they felt themselves to be, you know, on... Uh, Authoritative enough. Yeah, well, it sounds arrogant to say, but it makes them come across as if they're somewhat on par with the guy who's expositing the scriptures mm -hmm. to talk with him mm -hmm. about what mm -hmm. they just learned when they've missed so many other things uh, thus far in their Christian life. Um, I see. Yes. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So experience, I think, 
plays a role in having those conversations. So, so I would say, you know, to someone who says, you know, I feel brushed aside. Well, maybe, maybe it's the approach, um, Mm -hmm. or, or maybe it's just the way that you view your own experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe that's, what's rubbing people the wrong way. I don't know. And that's, that's why this is a tough question to answer. Cause it's like, I don't know know the exact scenario. Yeah. But, and just one quick thing before you go on, I, I thought, you know, I know it sounds, uh, of course, the Christian view itself sounds sexist, you know, to say, well, women need to be in submission and they have their role and blah, blah, blah. But we would also say that doesn't mean that women are less valuable or less intelligent or less capable of certain things. Um, Mm -hmm. And I say that, um, you know, an overly opinionated woman irritates me, but probably honestly, an overly opinionated man irritates me. (laughs) You know, I'm just overly opinionated people. (laughs) And part of it probably has to go with what you're saying is when they, well, anybody who's probably overly opinionated obviously highly values what they have to say. <laughs> right. And and in some way you feel it's imbalanced maybe, but okay, that's a side yeah. note. Go ahead with what uh, you're saying. There. Um, no, I think that that kind of hits the initial things. I, I do think it's interesting that she, she has an interest in learning, learning Greek. And I must admit, you know, I, I spent a short time in Bible college years ago before I was ever even called to the ministry. I don't remember any women there taking Greek or even if it was permitted there, um, where, where I went, um, hmm. wow. which I, I don't see a reason why a woman couldn't take well, sure. Greek. No, absolutely Did, not. Where, where you went to school, were there any ladies that took Greek? A, f- a few probably. Yeah. Yeah. A couple okay. I can think of, um, that I know of and maybe more, but, um, uh, I, I think by all means, uh, they should, should, or could, you know, take Greek. Um, and, and I'm looking back here, um, how can we cultivate healthy reasoning? Oh, I was just going to say this, you got to know, um, and this isn't to cast aside everyone or to put a generalization on everyone's response, like why they, I don't assume to, to, to know why everybody responds the way they do, but I would, uh, venture an educated guess that especially if you know Greek and you approach a man with a question, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of, well, I say a lot of, some men I imagine are going to be um, somewhat shallow maybe in their knowledge, but they're also going to be insecure. Um, and because they're say the, the pastor, you know, or because they, they should know more or, or they want to be perceived as knowing more, they have to kind of guard that position and guard that persona. And instead of being teachable, then when they're approached or challenged by something, um, they're going to have an adverse reaction or response to it. They're not going to, they're, they're going to, uh, instead of going, Hmm, that's interesting. Well, I'll have to look into that and, you know, and acknowledging that you're touching on a field that they may not know or a thought that they haven't thought of before. Um, it's, it's, you know, not going to be responded to correctly. Um, so uh, let's see. I asked this with, let's see here. Um, it, desire to reason through questions of doctrine be wrong. Absolutely not. But again, it just goes back to an approach. A lot of times it might be a question or, uh, well, could I offer a thought there? Um, or, uh, you know, this was really interesting. Um, and I'd you know, like to know your thought on it, but I was just studying this and, you know, but anyway, always kind of coming. Well, I say always, but anyway, a lot of times coming with a you know, with a gentle approach uh, to things and, and not being perceived as we maybe talked about in that last, in that other episode as trying to, um, assume a teaching position over this person, 
Right. You know, well, yes, right. you're teaching them and you're challenging and sharpening them to kind of set yourself up and say, now, look, I know something you don't know. Listen to me just won't go across well, you know? Right. And that, that kind of is the exact point I was just wanting to bring up is that, you know, she asks, I suppose the question could be put forth, does reasoning together include women? And I would answer a wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly, yes, that yes. does include women. Absolutely. If, if, and this is a big if, if reasoning together is what is happening. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, good. If, if, if it's arguing together, I'm not so much for that. Um, or if it's just for the purpose of showing how much I know. Right, right. And some people love debate. Yeah, that's right. male or female. Uh, mm -hmm. that, that's annoying sometimes when someone is just asking questions or bringing up topics or, or alternate ideas or playing devil's advocate because they just want everyone who's intelligent in, in the room to know, well, I'm intelligent too. Um, that's not reasoning together so much as that's me trying to be puffed up with my knowledge and so on. Um, so, and there's a fine line there sometimes. Let me give you a couple of biblical, um, examples of, you know, women involved in the reasoning process. Yes. And this first example may not seem so much that it's a reasoning together. However, I would argue that it is a little bit, and that is the person of Lydia. Uh, you know, when, when we give the gospel, um, we have to be careful that it's, uh, here, I gave you this basic fact. Do you believe it? Say the prayer but that we're, we're reasoning with them to understand who Christ is and, you know, what the problem is and what, you know, what God has done to remedy that problem. You know, I understand. So they're, they're, they're obviously you're appealing to their reasoning capacity um, sure. in order to get them to see their need and to call out, to call out to, to Christ. So um, there is a reasoning, and Lydia, you know, obviously was a female convert. She was a businesswoman, you mm -hmm. know, for crying out loud. So she, the woman could could reason, um, and you know, if she would have had a question along the way, what about this? What about that? Well, but I thought that this, you know, what I mean. She now yeah. she may have been wrong, and he may have been leading her in the right direction. But was she allowed to ask a question? Well, I don't see why not. But let me show you another one. Um, the Bible talks about a man who was a, a powerful speaker, um, and I'm trying to think of his name. Um, New Testament, same time as Paul. Um, he was a preacher. It seemed like it's starting with an A, but I don't. Um, Apollos. Apollos, thank you. Who is mighty in the scriptures? Mighty in the scriptures, and he convinced Jews. I mean, the man, you know, was a an orator. It seemed like so. Apollos was. Uh, was really something in the speaking realm. And obviously he had a mind and he could really think, but there were certain things he didn't know. And it says that Aquila and Priscilla actually brought him in and taught him the word of God more perfectly, something like that. But it references both of them. Yes. It doesn't just say that Aquila did, but Aquila and Priscilla. Um, so she yeah. was someone who knew, who knew the scriptures or who knew the faith and could, could help um, instruct Apollos. And Apollos was teachable. And so that right. didn't have to be a contention there. Sure. And even Timothy's mother and grandmother, uh -huh. uh, I think, were reasoned together type women, uh, honestly. Mm. Uh, they gave him a good enough foundation that Timothy eventually becomes kind of the right-hand man of the Apostle Paul, I think. Because, you know, mm -hmm. Paul says of him that there was no man like-minded unto me like Timothy was. 
um, you know, Timothy, Timothy was a solid guy and, uh, Paul encouraged him, you know, uh, to, to keep the things that he has learned. And it's like, that includes not just what Paul taught him, that includes what his mother and grandmother taught him as well. Absolutely. Yes. Good. And then finish this by saying, uh, what would you say is the difference between teaching and preaching the Bible? It does seem as though we as women are told to preach the gospel to everyone unsaved, man or woman. Then as soon as they are saved, there's a line and we're no longer qualified to teach the Bible to them. (laughs) Of course, ideal biblical discipleship is man to man and woman to woman. Uh, What's your thought on that? That's really interesting to think of it that way. Um, And I'm not sure I have a fully developed thought on that, but there does seem to be a difference in kind between an unsaved man and a saved man. Um, You know, one is a new creature, right? There's a difference in kind. And and somehow it seems, it does seem different, like what she's saying. I can see that, 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 yeah, there is even a responsibility upon women to give the gospel to everyone. Though, Though I think ideally, I, and I can only speak from the standpoint of my wife, she would not be fully comfortable giving the gospel to a man. Uh, hmm. Though she could, she's capable. She herself is not comfortable uh, doing that uh, very much. And, and I don't know if that's just preference or uh, if there, you know, my wife is, um, she, she would much rather defer. Uh, Mm -hmm, to me, mm -hmm. right. That's just, that's just the way she is. Um, but there does seem to be a difference in kind once a man becomes born again and he he ideally should be in a church and he should, you know, be baptized and join a church. There seems to be a different structure there where there's a difference in kind now between an unsaved man and now a saved man. Um, Hmm. where it does seem that scripture now indicates that in the church setting, that the men are supposed to be the teachers now. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But outside of that, in a gospel setting, it seems to be okay for women to give the gospel to a man, uh, depending on how it's done. Well, and I guess I would distinguish between uh, a gathering of the assembly and personal interaction. Um, yeah. You know, and, and, and yeah, it, it may be harder, for, say, for a woman who's younger to witness to a peer or to an older man. But as she grows older, I'd imagine it would even get easier, say, from a grandmother approach yes. to say, you know, look, I've lived long enough and, and I know the word you need to, you know, and she could witness. But in the same way, you just I just kind of picture this sort of grandma person, grandma personality who shares something with you. Yes. And is she teaching you? Well, yeah, she's teaching mm-hmm. you uh, from her, her, her depth of knowledge and her life experiencing life experience. I remember, you know, um, a woman in our church saying something like, um, unless my wife shared this with me that she said this, but, um, but anyway, if she would have said this to me, you know, I, I go to God like a daughter and say, God, I'm your daughter. And I would like this, you know, I, she was saying something about how she prayed. Mm-hmm. Was well, that wrong? Cause oh, she actually was trying to teach me something about prayer. No, this is a personal interaction and right. in, an, in, and in interacting, she's sharpening me. And that may include teaching. Now, when we get into the assembly, should the elder, you know, uh, should should the woman stand up and teach the man? No, no. But and and ideally, the you know the elder women teach the younger, and the men pass on to other men who shall be able to teach other you know men also. So it does seem like there's a man and woman thing. But does that mean in in interaction that a woman can't share anything or somehow add a thought that could teach a man? No, that's that's sort of silly. I think right. But, well, it's interesting that you know in First Corinthians fourteen, it actually puts. Um, 
as far as the church assembly goes, it, it puts the onus on men to be the teachers at home uh, of mm-hmm. their wives. So if, if, if the wife would ask anything, let her ask, uh, let, let her ask her husband at home, something like that. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. It. Mm-hmm. Um, be, and, and, and so that's specifically referencing the church setting, <clears throat> which, you know, can we apply that outside of the church setting? Maybe not to the letter of that. Um, but I think the spirit of it is basically this, that the husband in the home should be the theological leader. He should be the spiritual leader. He should be the, the, the biblical academic leader. He should be the one who knows these things. In the ideal um, setting, yes. Mm-hmm. In the ideal setting, yes. And I think oftentimes, if he's doing his job right, then the wife won't feel that uh, angst quite so much to to be a theologian because mm. she has one at home that she can ask and reason together with and talk to about these things. And she won't feel a necessity to get into all these conversations elsewhere. Not saying that she can't, but that you know the husband at home is the one who's prepping that soil. Uh, when you say uh, by yeah. be a theologian, you don't mean that she doesn't feel the need to no theology, but that she doesn't feel the need to have to um, bounce it off of somebody so much because she's already bounced it off of somebody, right? Namely, right. her husband, and kind of gotten her questions yeah. answered, right? Yeah. So, and then one thing is the difference between preaching and teaching. I think there is certainly overlap as to um, the I- idea, just meaning that obviously when you're preaching and teaching, it both deals with content. Um, yes. And so uh, while the content may be very similar, preaching, if I could just take it back to uh, word meanings, preaching is more of a declaration uh, where teaching seems to be an instruction. So mm-hmm. if, if taking that a little further, the declaration seems to um, require um, a response in some way. Uh, you know, where teaching can too. I mean, teaching, you know, building line upon line, precept upon precept should bring about a change and a response, yet maybe it's not calling for it in such a confrontational way because it's not a proclamation in quite the same way. Right. Sure. Yeah. I I see a lot of overlap between the two as well, uh, preaching and teaching. You know, teaching though, I think often involves um, methods that can include dialogue. Um, yeah, should so I it, think it, it, it is a teaching tool to have something asked and answered um, that is, in a sense, yes. more solidified in someone's mind than if they're just sitting there hearing something. Hearing you so, say something, yes, right. Yes, but the implication in preaching is that this isn't a dialogue; this is a declaration. Um, so, like for instance, you'll notice this. It, it, you know, maybe maybe someone's never really paid attention to it before, but, but pay attention to it now. You know, you'll see sometimes in your church in Sunday school, there will be more of a dialogue setting, but mm-hmm. then in, in the preaching service, you'll see that there really is no dialogue. It's, it's, it's right. declaration. It's a monologue, you might say. Um, uh, and that's, that's the difference really, but yet the content is often the same. It's just presented differently and with a different mm-hmm. method, I should say. Well, thank you for that question. Um, Yes. And then how about moving on to this one that's been sitting here for a while um, about the um, uh, John, Matthew, things like that. Oh, passages. yes. You want to read that? You want to take that one? Yes. This one is from uh, our listener, Peter. 
Uh, he says, hello, brothers, Thomas and Daniel. I recently discovered what podcasts are. <laughs> um, he says his niece's husband set him up with podcasts. He says, and as a bonus, he set me up with your podcast. I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed listening to just the few episodes I heard so far as we travel during our furlough slash deputation. Uh, so he's, he's a missionary. Mm -hmm. uh, he says, thank you for doing this. Though I have uh, never met Brother Thomas. Um, I know Brother Daniel well. <clears throat> um, with regard to the first part of the last episode, where the subject of John 20, 23 was brought up, it got me thinking. I always associate that text with Matthew 16, 19 and 18, 18. I kind of thought Jesus was more like trying to make them understand that the salvation of souls depended upon them doing their part. Uh, where they shared the gospel, people could be saved. Where they did not share the gospel, people would not have the opportunity to be saved. Please share your thoughts on this with me. Thank you. Keep up the good work. Peter. Okay. So um, I may have some basic thoughts on it here, but just to read the passage, Matthew 16, 19 says, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Mm -hmm. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, in that uh, context there, he is, seems to be talking to Peter. Uh, now, 18.18 says, Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And that one um, seems to be talking to the disciples generally, not just Peter. Yeah. <clears throat> so what's, um, did, what's your Ned, take on that? Did you read John 20.23? First. No, let me go ahead and do that, John. Because that's that's the one that he's relating to these other two in Matthew. Okay. John 20, 23 says, um, it's, well, 20, 22 says, uh, he breathed on them and saith, saith unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Mm. Yeah. So he's likening that passage to the ones in Matthew about the what was it the 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 being bound on heaven and bound on earth and so on? Right, whatsoever um, thou shalt bind and loose. Yeah. Now he says he's always likened that to. Um, he kind of thought Jesus was trying to make them understand that the salvation of souls depended on them doing their part. Um, where they shared the gospel, people could be saved. Where they did not share the gospel, people would not have the opportunity to be saved. Um, I I kind of don't lean that way personally. Mm -hmm. Um. I, I tend to think that if God calls someone to go somewhere and they don't go, God's going to send someone else. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I, I tend to, to think I, I'm less on board with the idea that, you know, the salvation of, of souls is completely dependent on me. And if I don't go, then those people won't get saved. Uh, mm -hmm. I think God's just going to, you know, deal with me for my disobedience if I don't go. And, and he's just going to send somebody else at some point. Um, and, and I think God sees all of that before it happens anyway. Um, I think what this is more related to, and, and this is kind of the way I lean with it. So with, with John 20, 23, uh, whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. The way I think of this is if you've ever stood in the pulpit and you have preached on the assurance of salvation, Right. Uh, you are saying on the authority of scripture, if you yep. have believed this and this and this, and you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and repented of your sins, then on the authority of scripture, you can be sure that your sins are remitted. 
And I can declare authoritatively yes. about you that if you've believed that your sins are remitted, it would be no different than if you've ever led someone to Christ personally, one-on-one. -on -one, and after they have uh, affirmed what uh, they believe, after you have taught them the gospel, and after they have verbalized that and they have, they have placed their faith in Christ and you've seen that faith exercised, perhaps, you know, in, in a change of their demeanor or in their willingness to pray and ask the Lord uh, to save them and so on. You know, you've affirmed what they believe. You've seen their response uh, to it. You can then afterwards give them assurance and say, if you really meant that, if you really believed and understood that, then I can say with authority, your sins are remitted. <clears throat> um, but it's all based on the quali qualification of if you really did believe this, <laughs> if you really did mean this. Um, <clears throat> does that make sense? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. At, um, that's, that's where I'd have to fall right now. If not for the reason, you know, you know, simply the reason that I can't, I can't accept that he was actually giving them <laughs> the power to bind someone's sin to them. And they are different Greek words, by the way, in the different passage in the, in between say Matthew 18, 18 and the John passage, you know, when he says, you know, uh, whosoever sins ye remit, um, they are remitted unto them. Uh, whosoever sins ye, whatever the other word was, um, you know, to say, because remember it says, who can forgive sins but God only? Yeah. You know, God's the one that can forgive sins. So I don't think he's giving humans say, well, if I look at the guy and go, that's it, your sins are going to be retained, <laughs> you know, whatever, um, that I have the power in and of myself to make that call. Right. I don't. But like you're saying, on the authority of the word, what God has said is true. Right. And, and if, you know, if you'll obey, if you'll conform to that, then I can declare to you this of a truth, of a certainty. Right. Um, but, it's not, uh, so it's not causative. It's not causative on the part of the disciple. It's declarative. Mm. So okay. I'm not causing someone's sins to be remitted or retained. I'm declaring that based on what they have done and on the authority of scripture, I'm declaring that their sins are remitted or retained. It'd be no different than preaching assurance in my, in my view. Um, what's interesting, and maybe this throws a curveball. I don't know. Um, I'll have to get your thoughts on it, but Matthew 18, 18, that other one, mm -hmm. isn't that in the context of the subject of church discipline? Uh, yes, mm -hmm. it is. Um, which is an interesting thought because that would essentially mean you're dealing with someone that you're putting out of the assembly <clears throat> um, with authority. <laughs> and, and, you know, kind of like where, where Paul, I think it's Paul that said this, that, you know, someone who is basically um, disciplined out of the church, you're to treat them. And, and I think the phrase was as an heathen man or a publican. Mm -hmm. Basically, he's saying that someone who is disciplined out of the church at a certain point you treat them as if they're lost and the goal is to see them born again. Right. Mm. So there's an I interesting, and I think you and I've talked about this before and that the, the longer we are in ministry, the longer we grow as Christians, the more we see a relationship between how someone views the church setting and their actual claim of salvation. <clears throat> There seems to be some relationship there. And I think Matthew 18, 18 makes that somewhat a little, a little less, uh, a little more apparent, I should say. So someone is essentially behaving in such a way 
that they end up getting disciplined out of a church, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if if you've gone that far to where you've been disciplined out and you've not been reconciled yet because of the process of discipline, essentially the Bible is teaching you to question that person's salvation, hmm. right? Because they've been disciplined out. Now you treat them as a heathen man or a publican. So how do you treat a lost person? Are you mean to them? Of course not. But when you interact with them, you are trying to see them born again. Which I don't know that I would say I would, it would makes me question their salvation per se, but as you say, to treat them such, and I totally agree with the fact that how do you treat a, a heathen man, a publican? You despise yeah. and spit on them? No. No. <laughs> you try to win them. I mean, you try to win you know them. I mean? yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, but I would, I would have to say, you know, that I do see that as putting a question mark on their salvation testimony because the process of church discipline is rigorous in a sense. You, you go by yourself. And then if they don't hear you, you go with witnesses. And if they don't hear you and the witnesses, you go with the church, uh, you bring it before the church and so on. And if someone has done something egregious enough to not only warrant church discipline, but to go through a three-step process in which they still refuse to be reconciled or to repent, that really does make me question their salvation. Sure, sure. Especially when you look at, isn't there, you know, the tests in 1 John, Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you love the brothers and if you love me, keep my commandments and things like that. It's like, well, where's the love of God there? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so to bring this back around to Peter's question, that's kind of making me wonder. So, if someone's gone through that process of discipline in Matthew 18, and by the time he gets to verse 18, he's essentially giving those in the leadership position in the church the authority to say, based on the evidence we've seen of this person responding to discipline the wrong way, we treat them as an heathen man, as a publican. We have the authority to say they may not be born again. They put, at least put a big question mark on it, and and we're putting them out of the assembly um, for this purpose. They they don't they don't quite they don't quite match the testimony of a of a born again person. So when you're coming to Matthew eighteen eighteen, you're correct that in seven eighteen seventeen, it's finishing up what we typically hear of the you know Matthew eighteen discipline process. And if he neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee. As a okay, heathen yeah. man and a publican. And the very next verse says, Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Does that have anything to do with what he just said? Um, because then he moves on in the next verse to say, Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done of them of my father, which is in heaven, which begins to, to me to turn the conversation mm-hmm. um, away from, say, discipline to something else. You know, yeah. but maybe I'm wrong. What's your thought? Yeah, on I'd, that? I'd have to think on that because I wonder, yeah. you know, verse 19 begins with the word again. So I'm wondering if that mm-hmm. really is beginning a new subject or if he's repeating something he's just covered only from a different light. I'd have to think on that more. Yeah. But, but I think... Part of this maybe would be one of those discussions where I would have to I'd have to look and study and really try to formulate a balanced response. But it's easier to say what it doesn't mean than what it does mean, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, would, would you and, want to elucidate real quick? What yes, it doesn't mean. right. What it doesn't mean is that I am not in the I am not the vicar of Christ to uh, to bind someone under sin. Um, you know, at my will and say, mm-hmm. no, your sin shall be bound to you. And because I have said so, it is so in heaven. 
and you are forever lost, you know, right. um, unless you do what I say, like penance or something. Um, yeah. I don't know. It would be something like that. It's not to say that I, as you said earlier, I thought it was a good distinction. I causatively can bind someone in sin of my own will and by my own authority. Um, you know, we'll say, well, God's giving you the authority, but how, you know what I mean? So, so what if I come along and I say, you're bound and you come along and say, oh, you're loosed. And I come and say, no, 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 you're bound. And you come along and say, you're loose. I mean, is this like a game of eternal tag, like a freeze tag, right. you know, like right. I, I said it last, so he's frozen. And then you come along and like, I'm frozen and oh, whew, you're safe, you know? I mean, so it's <laughs> wow. obviously not ascribing to us some sort of godlike authority um, in a primary way. Anyway, that's what I would say it's, it's not right. doing. Whatever we right. say that it is meaning. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Okay. Well, well very good. Um, we've got maybe just a few minutes. Do you want to try to hit something else? I don't know that these, we're going to have time for any of these here. Yeah. Um, okay. There's one here from one listener who gives us like five questions here. Um, some of them, uh, th some of these can be after show material here. Yeah. Um, okay. but I don't know that he's an elite patron, so he okay. won't get to hear any of them if we, if we do that then. Maybe I'll just give a teaser here into the next yeah. episode. That'd be all right. Not into the after sure. show, but into our sure. next episode. I want to talk a little bit about verbalizing the gospel. Um, and I know I talked before about articulation and using good words and teaching your kids to actually have a vocabulary, but I'm speaking of something a little bit differently now. I, I wonder how many things have crept into our presentation of the gospel that um, that really aren't accurate uh, representations mm -hmm. of what the scripture says. And I'm just going to throw out one. For instance, we say, um, you know, and God is offended by your sin. God is offended okay. by your sin. Is God really offended by my sin? Is, is I can that, use is a that better a, word. Okay. Is that an accurate telling? Yeah. I, I have a well, better well, word for that. Yeah. But do we want to save that for when we cover it? Or? Sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. So anyway, uh, and, and, and our listeners, uh, you, you can even preemptively write me your thoughts on this uh, before the next episode. Yes. Uh, maybe. And... Um, and tell me maybe some thoughts that you feel like that we that you hear in gospel presentations that are kind of man-made, um, yes. that aren't really accurately script, you know, scripturally accurate. Um, and can God is God offended by my sin? Is that yeah. the right way to say that? All right. So let us know what you think. Reason Together Podcast at gmail.com. That's actually a good idea there is to kind of put these out and let the listeners uh, soak on it for a while, uh, soak mm -hmm. in it for a while and let us know before we discuss it. Um, since we're doing that, I've got one that I want to bring up um, <laughs> okay. for the next episode or two. We'll see which one it fits into. But the idea of Christians in the military, um, this is something that um, I've thought about before. Is it is it possible? Is it is it wise for a Christian to go into the military. I've heard a lot of people say it's not. And I've heard some say that it's, it's, you know, it's different, you know, depending on how you go about it. So I, I've not been in the military. Uh, if, if you as a listener have been, and you're a Christian, you've been in the military or you've got some thoughts on that, or maybe you have a child in the military. Uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on what it's like to be a Christian and go into the military. 
are are you dooming yourself to a life of spiritual failure as some would think or is there a way to do this victoriously and come out of it with a good career and a good skill set and so on uh send us your thoughts at reason together podcast at gmail.com uh and uh, we'll bat that around in the next episode or so and uh another thing we're going to talk about is the metaverse if you don't know what that is, look that up. Send us your thoughts on that too. Um, we're still doing <laughs> some go. research on it ourselves, <laughs> um, but uh, we've got some fun stuff here in the coming weeks. Be sure to also go over to reasontogether.fm, uh, our home on the web, and check out the blog there. Uh, there are blog articles that kind of trickle out uh, there every once in a while, and uh, we've got several in the pipeline that'll be coming hopefully soon, and uh, we think that they'll be a real help to you. Uh, that's reasontogether.fm. Uh, uh, anyway, that's all we have for you on this one. We are encouraging balance, developing perspective, and connecting faith to practice. This is Reason Together.